Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. UVA football is the softest bunch of cream puffs, bow tie wearing, brie cheese eating, NASCAR wearing wussies I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to punch people from UVA right in the neck. wear suits to games. <laughs> That's absurd. Welcome back everyone to Guys and Ties podcast. This is Dustin. I've got Rob on the call and we haven't gotten a pot out for a couple weeks. Rob blames himself, but in reality, both of our schedules have been busy for the past couple of weeks, so it's not all Rob's fault. But, but uh, that's what that's what the people are saying. So, Rob, how are you doing? How you been? We've been told you're busy. So, people are saying that. That's good. Pe- the uh, people are saying that. Yeah. No, it's been good, man. Yeah. Uh, dude. Yeah. Business school's a blast, man. But it keeps you busy for sure. But yeah, still in Chapel Hill, and you know. One football team's actually doing pretty well, you know. Mm-hmm. North Carolina, they locked up the uh, Coastal Division Championship. They'll be playing Clemson here in a few weeks. A little better than our football team, but right now we're going to talk basketball. I think that's where we want to start this episode. There, there's some rumors on the street. I'm going to let you have the final word uh, that you're a UNC football fan now. You've thrown out the UVA football stuff. Rob, is this true? Man, as a lifelong Washington Redskins slash football team slash Commanders fan, as a lifelong uh, UVA football fan, man, sometimes it's fun to win every once in a while. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm I'm not saying I'm abandoning UVA by any stretch, but he, sometimes it's fun to win. He didn't deny it. He didn't deny that he's uh, cheering for the for the enemy now. But hey, you I'm know, still well, here, man. I'm still here. I don't blame you. I honestly don't blame you so much more fun than what we are putting out there right now we'll talk about that later though for now we're gonna talk basketball and it's been a few weeks but if you guys remember the last thing or the last podcast we did we promised we would talk about platoons i sprung it on rob as a surprise rob was not ready for that and so we pushed it back until next week which turned into two weeks so or three, two or three weeks. Or whatever it's been. How last last time. But we're gonna do platoon talk this time. So for those who are unaware, UVA has been playing great this season, two and zero, and most recently beating Monmouth eighty nine to forty two. Probably I think the largest win since probably the national championship year. If I can recall, I don't because I don't think our, our offense has just been not good for the past few seasons. And I I don't know the exact game, but a 50 or sorry, 47 point win is pretty good. Yeah, totally. I, I actually think there's a stat 
that's something like that. That's our largest win since like 2018, 2019. Yeah. Um, it wasn't quite the Harvard feel when we were back in college, man. Mm-hmm. But like for a second there, I was like, yeah, man. Cause it was like 40 something to like sing or like 17. I don't know. But yeah, good win, man. Good win. Well, even, even that team wasn't shooting at the clip that this team is. And we'll get into, we'll talk shooting later, but let's talk about platooning. So the idea is that this team has 10 guys playing who could really all start mostly. And Rob and I are going to split them into two teams and kind of argue about who we think should be on. If we had to split the team up two into two, who would be on each team? So, uh, Rob, how do you want to do this? You want to just lay out your team and then we'll argue about it, or do you want to you want to go one by one and and see how it go? You want to go by position? Yeah, we should have talked about this before. <laughs> we should have got on the podcast. I would say uh, I'm down to just go one by one and dive in. We'll present the two teams and then we can kind of talk about it. Let's do one by one. So. We are going to start with the most obvious choice, point guard. So for point guard, I think everyone would say this. You split Reese and Kihei up. You put one on each team. Yep. And I think think it's been uh, a little bit different feel this season because they aren't playing together as much. They play together a lot but they haven't been playing together as much recently um, just because of uh, Isaac McNeely being able to play a little bit more, Armand being able to play. Reese was in foul trouble too against Monmouth a little bit, so he was out for a lot of the first half. So it makes it so that they haven't played together nearly as much as they had last year. That could very well change over the course of the year, but so far Bennett seems to be doing a much more I think he's like actually trying to try out different lineups without two of them in it together. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's been a good thing. And what we do have to take with a grain of salt too, is that, you know, both games, Kihei and Reese have started together. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's like the de facto starting lineup right now, but early in the season, he's going to experiment with lineups. And, you know, now that we're red shirting, uh trout officially as well as leon bond you know we're down to 10 players so realistically this rotation will get down to about eight players Mm -hmm. um maybe even seven at some point but realistically there's going to be two people out of the 10 that are going to play this year that you know call it 10 games into the season their minutes will start to go away Mm -hmm. so you know i think he's figuring out uh things right now playing with lineups as he does every season Um, so, I mean, it's been fun to see how he splits it up as well. And I think he knows as well as anybody that, you know, the Kihei and Reese pairing, there's benefits to it, but there's also drawbacks to it. And if you can try to get the best of both worlds there, you know, maximize the benefits, minimize the drawbacks. Sounds like a pretty good idea to me. Yeah. But they're each great point guard. I mean, they both had amazing, really great games on on Friday, you know, Reese was seven, had seven assists, seven points, only one turnover. Sorry, Reese had six assists and one turnover. But Reese also had two blocks and two steals to go along with. Uh, he he was two of uh, two of seven from the field, but still finished with seven points. Kihei had eight points, 
two of three from three, seven assists, no turnovers, two steals. So really, really great game from both from both players. So either way, each team, you know, is getting a great floor general. Uh, Reese a bit more dynamic on defense, but Kihei, you know, super, super pesky. Pesky is the word that people use for him on defense. Pesky. Um, yeah. Not a compliment, no, but. <laughs> hey, man, for a defender, it's not it's not a bad thing. Peskies, you'll take that. Um, and that's been something that's stuck with Kihei, you know, really throughout his career. Uh, but yeah, I would say pretty easy to split up Kihei and Reese Beekman. And I think exactly what you said, actually, as far as kind of peskiness versus maybe dynamic is the word that you use there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I certainly took defense into account when kind of construction constructing the rest of the roster. And yeah. basically, you kind of worked like from the outsides in. You know, you yeah. started with the point guards. And then you started with the centers and forwards and then kind of mix and match the two and three spots yeah. um, to complement those. It's basically how right. I approached it. Okay, so let's move on to the five. So who who do you pair with Reese and who do you pair with Kihei at the five spot? So I'm pairing uh, Kafaro with Beekman at the five mm-hmm. and I'm pairing Shedrick with Clark. Okay. What is about reason, you? It, I think that makes sense. Because I think Shedrick's more dynamic than Kafaro on the inside, so it's nice to have that that length, you know, that Reese has. Because Reese, you know, can block a lot of Reese blocks shots against guards and against against forwards even sometimes. But um, Poppy, really good in his own right defensively, is not you know block is not like jumping up and swatting balls kind of like Shedrick is. So. I think that's a really great pairing, Kihei and Shedrick. And Kihei and Caden uh, had that great alley-oop play yeah, that was on, cool. uh, on Friday as well. Yeah, and then the other way I'm approaching it too is I'm pairing the fours and fives together as well. Mm-hmm. You know, because Jaden Gardner does so many things well. Um, but frankly, Kihei Clark is probably more of a threat from three, at least when he's open, than Beekman mm-hmm. is. So yeah. I want to give Beekman the team with Ben Vanderplas to give more yeah. shooting on the floor. So I'm pairing Vanderplas, who can stretch the floor, with Kafaro, who's more of a traditional center, mm-hmm. um, on my second team with Beekman, where my team won with Kihei Clark. I'm putting Jaden Garden, Caden, and Shedrick together. And Jaden Gardner's kind of got that mid-range, and Caden uh, Shedrick is a bit more of a dynamic center than Kafaro mm-hmm. is. So I'm kind of like trying to mix and match these teams together. And I would say yeah. like the goal of my teams, at least, is to produce the best two possible teams yeah produce like the best starting lineup and then everybody else it's yeah it's like the two best teams together yeah it's like evenness it's like how how even can we make these teams yeah i agree so okay so you'd put gardner with kihei yes okay i agree i think i agree with that i think that's the right call because gardner's an inside out guy he's not he's not stepping out too far and Kihei works best when he's playing on the outside. So if Kihei, if Kihei doesn't because dri- sometimes when Kihei gets lost is he gets inside and jumps and stops dribbling and gets lost and turns it over or makes a bad pass or, you know, throws the shot off the backboard. But, um, but if he stays on the outside, you know, he, he can make people miss. He he's, he's got some good dribbles. A couple of times he was playing when uh, Monmouth went into zone, Kihei was playing the, the uh, top of the key player where he was kind of distributing from inside out. So 
you know, as long as he doesn't have to go baseline, kind of like where Gardner would be, I think that's good. Now, speaking, let's, I want to talk Gardner real quick. Gardner has been off for the past two games. Um, only he had, well, he had nine points in this game, but didn't quite look himself. He was three of seven from the field. Um, four fouls for, for Jaden as well. You know, he picked up uh, a quick, a couple quick ones in the second half where he didn't really play a ton, only 16 minutes, you know, are you concerned for Jaden at all? Or is this, you think this is just a funk that he'll get out of once he kind of figures out how to play with the, the new pieces around? I wouldn't say I'm concerned, but I'm definitely intrigued. Um, you know, well, intrigue's probably the wrong word yeah. too. <laughs> intrigue's the wrong word. It's like but, you're excited. But, yeah. yeah. Well, no, that that's the wrong word for his performance. But I am intrigued about how this pairing with Ben Vanderplas and Jade Gardner is going to work. Mm-hmm. And you know, they've played together a little bit at times, but really not much. And Tony Bennett was asked about that actually in one of the post game press press conferences. It might have been after Friday. Mm-hmm. Basically, he said, you know, it's going to be a lot matchup dependent. That maybe sometimes they'll play together, but other times they won't. We also have to. Friday, Kafaro did not play. Mm-hmm. He was actually doing uh, a game for the national team, I believe. Um, he, he was actually he was actually at JPJ. He was he was in he was dressed. He was dressed. He just didn't play. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know if he was like on call or if he had just played a game or if there's some rules regarding how much you can play if you're on international duty. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. But yeah, so I mean, I'm very intrigued because we've seen what Ben Vanderplas can do. You know, he Mm -hmm. brings that floor spacing element. Um, We know what Jaden Gardner can do. He just hasn't done it this season yet. Um, So I think there's a role for both of them. But I I think it's going to be really intriguing, you know, how it works, if it's going to be matchup dependent. And, you know, you kind of it's tough on Jaden Gardner, too. And he started both games. But it's tough on Jaden Gardner because, you know, he was an all ACC level guy last year. And mm-hmm. you bring in a transfer in Vanderplas who essentially plays the same position. You know, he's going to eat into those minutes. And, you know, certainly you don't want to play everyone 35 plus minutes like we had to last year. Mm-hmm. But Gardner might see some of his worth diminish. Um, you know, he's not going to have the volume that he did last year. So, you know, trying to piece together that role. I think he'll get there. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. But I think this team... If it's an adjustment for anybody, it's probably, you know, having all this extra depth is maybe the biggest adjustment for Jaden Gardner. Yeah, I I agree. And I think, you know, there was a few times in the first two games where Tony played Gardner and Vanderplas at the same time, and it didn't go that well, to be quite honest with you. They, they play such a similar position, and neither of them are, and this is not to... This is not to say they're not good defenders. They're, Jaden became such a better defender by the end of last year than he was when he came in. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think I think Vanderplas has been really great so far on defense for the Who's so far. But you know, neither of them would I think you would say are super athletic or like dynamic shot blockers like Shedrick might be or yeah. that Reese is. Reese can guard you know one through four, but Gardner and Vanderplas really can only guard three, four, maybe five if it's a small five. So it's tough. And they've only played together about 7% of the team's minutes, according to um, according to Ken Palm. So it, they don't mesh well on the court. The defense gets wonky. 
when they're on the court together. And there's not that shot blocking presence in the center that Tony really likes to have, kind of that anchor of the defense, like Shedrick or Kafaro, you know, someone who's who can block shots down low. So I think that we're not going to see them on the floor a lot together. I actually, them together on the floor together is works less well than Kihei and Reese. Because Kihei and Reese have been playing so long together that they can figure it out. And Kihei actually can play off the ball a lot better now. But Gar- Jaden and Ben, they don't, they haven't figured out how to mix yet. And so I don't think we're going to see them a lot together. I think it's really interesting to see how many minutes they both get each game because playing together, I don't think is an option unless Vanderplas can play the three, which we really have not seen him do yet. Yeah. And I don't think that Vanderplas is going to play the three. Honestly. I don't think so either. Um, and, you know, as we kind of know with Tony Bennett, Tony Bennett is more reactionary when it comes to lineups. Mm-hmm. So he's not the one necessarily dictating lineups. He's kind of adjusting to what the other teams typically do. Yep. So maybe if another team goes super small, there's a scenario where Jaden Gardner and Vanderplas can play together. But mm-hmm. I don't think Tony Bennett is ever going to dictate that on his own. No. And, you know, you also kind of need to give like Jaden Gardner credit too. Because I mean, mm-hmm. as far as he's gotten in his basketball career, you know, all third team, all ACC last year, for being a six six forward, yeah. you know, like it's crazy, you know. He's listed mm-hmm. at six six. He might even be smaller than that. Yeah. But you know, there's not too many forwards that are six foot six and play kind of a traditional game. You know, he's not a pure back to the basket guy. We saw him really work on his mid range. He's not. He's not an Anthony Gill. But mm-hmm. you know, same idea. Gill's I think was listed at six eight, and he's yeah. really a traditional big. Gardner's even shorter than that. And again, I, I think Gill is a step above what Gardner um, is. And that's no disrespect to Gardner. It's a tremendous credit to Anthony mm-hmm. Gill. But yeah, I mean, the fact that Gardner is an ACC caliber, like a really good ACC player, you know, at his size, at his position, like it's really, it's, it's an amazing credit to him. Uh, yep. But yeah, it does make the lineup stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, I, I think that, Jaden playing less minutes than he did last year is also kind of weird, you know, because if you don't play as much, you get out of rhythm and, you yep. know, and we saw him pick up a quick foul in the second half and he was just like, come on. Like he came in and he picked up a foul within like 30 seconds and he was like, like, I don't know, like what, like whatever. It's like, it was like whatever. But yeah, I mean, we're lucky in the, in that respect that we can bring in Ben off the bench to replace Jaden and it changes the way the offense works too because it's a whole different offense we're not feeding it spreads the floor so much uh and we could talk about I mean I could talk about Vanderplas a lot I mean he's currently leading the team in three-point percentage 57 percent it's insane yeah insane we've got uh three players at 50 percent or higher so far and it's a small sample size uh, we have Vanderplas, Isaac, and Armand, all shooting over 50%. And Kihei and Reese are both over 50 or 43%. They're both right at 43, 44%. So if we we're, and I don't think the team is going to keep that all season, but just the just what Vanderplas brings is it opens up the floor so much. Where last year we just couldn't hit a shot to save our lives. It was just so crowded in the inside. Yeah, and I think that's a good transition too into the guard spots, the other mm-hmm. guard spots as well, because 
you know, we're seeing better shooting from Franklin, you know, mm-hmm. it looks like he's kind of on that NIT clip. looks like that might've carried over into this season. Yeah. That's the hope at least. McNeely goes four for six from three on Friday night. I mean, that was awesome. It's great to see him mm-hmm. done. You know, I don't think he's going to be a volume three point shooter, but it looks like he can shoot, you know? Yeah. So I think you add those guys in there. Now, Tane Murray, I think, at least as of now, is probably on the back end of that 10-man rotation we're looking mm-hmm. at. But Tane Murray, we know he had his big game. Uh, was it Iowa last year where he really broke out? Yeah, it was so, Iowa. You know, you know the abilities there. Um, you know, you kind of just hope that he's willing to stick it out and, you know, really, really try to carve a rollout on this team. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, considering, you know, these teams because that's ultimately what we're doing i think we're doing a great job man you know condensing the season into our uh platoons if you will but uh yeah you know i think you start to bring all those players together so you know maybe we should have done this at the start but or you know just revealing the full teams here so my team won i went kihei uh armand franklin ryan dunn Jaden Gardner and Caden Shedrick. Mm-hmm. And then my team too, I did Reese Speakman, Isaac McNeely, Tane Murray, Ben Vanderplas, and Francisco Cafaro. Mm-hmm. And the reason I separated those as I did, you know, we've kind of talked about the distinction um, at point card and we've kind of talked about the distinction in the front court. You know, I think with Kihei Clark, you want to have um, another guy who's somewhat of a bigger guard and someone who can handle the ball if they need. And I think Armand Franklin brings both of those. I also think with Kihei Clark as being a smaller point guard, you want to have someone at the guard who has that length. Um, you know, the guy that could be a really good defender. And we'll see how Dunn progresses there. But that's why I paired uh, Franklin and Dunn with Kihei Clark. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, I think Franklin adds shooting on the outside to a team that probably needs it. You know, you're not going to get three-point shooting out of Jaden Gardner or Caden Shedrick. Um, so then on the second team, you know, essentially pairing, pairing uh, McNeely and Tane Murray with Reese Speakman. You know, McNeely is basically to provide shooting. And mm-hmm. I think Reese Speakman is such a great ball handler. And we saw McNeely, you know, he was a little, you know, I'd say a little hesitant at times with the ball in his hands. So you don't want to ask him to do too much um, dribbling-wise and ball handling-wise, you know, early in the season. So I think Beekman can be kind of a ball-heavy guard. Um whereas McNeely can come in and really focus on shooting. And I think Mm -hmm. Tane Murray adds a little bit of that element um, as well. Probably not the same sharp shooter that McNeely is, but I think Murray gives that pairing there um, to round out the two teams. So anyway, that's where I'm at. I I like your team, and I'm going to disagree with your team. I think think the the two and three guards need to be paired by – experience i think that it should be kihei isaac ryan uh we we said uh vanderplas and shedrick i had gardner paired with shedrick that's right you did i'm gonna put vanderplas and shedrick together and then i would put reese armand tane um, Gardner and Kafaro together. Actually, I don't like that. You're right. No. Um, Shedrick needs to be with Gardner. And I think... Hold on. I got myself confused. Okay. <laughs> I got myself confused. But, time, what, man. but what I'm saying, I think I actually think the two and three guards need to be paired up 
Isaac and or McNeely and Dunn and uh, Franklin and Murray. Because I think that McNeely and Dunn can both score. So far, we know Tane has it. We haven't seen it yet, but uh, Franklin can score on both levels, both shooting and getting to the rim. I think that you know Tane has it in him, as we've said, but it's you know one of three on on Tuesday night. On excuse me, Friday night. Uh, not the not a huge clip, but you know he's getting there. I think that if he's paired with Reese. And you put Arm on there as well, and then you got Vanderplas and Kafaro in there. I think that's a solid group that would know the defense really well. Got Reese, Kafaro, and Armon, all really good defenders. Tane can hold his own, and Vanderplas just learning the defense. But he he's played in the system, and he seems really smart so far. He seems like he can handle his own in the pack line defense. On the other side, you got Kihei. Isaac, great shooting, a little bit of ball handling. You have Ryan Dunn, who could bring it up the floor if he needed to. Doesn't, and that's something he'll probably we'll see later in his career. More as is he him dribbling it up the floor a little bit. We actually saw on Friday Isaac dribbled it up several times and seemed less rushed than he did uh, on the Monday night with the previous game against against. Uh, the other team, North Carolina Central. Yep. And then you finish off that team with Gardner and Shedrick. I think I think that evens it out a little bit better because you've got the you've got the experience guys with Kihei and then the two the two forwards with the freshmen, which I like. So you kind of balance it out. And I like that the two freshmen play together so that they can learn a little bit. I'm thinking for the future as well. You know, this is a mind exercise. I I feel you, man. All right. Well, I mean, that's interesting. You know, I, I think it's a fascinating exercise. Obviously we're not going, what was it? 2014, 2015 Kentucky was that, I think that was the team that was platooning. Um, but yeah, an interesting exercise nonetheless. Um, yeah, it's like super easy to like split some of these, but yeah, then it gets complicated. Like how do you pair them together? Yeah. Do you, now here's a question: If if Isaac Trout or Leon Bond were not redshirting, would you switch them for anyone? Like like interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, I I don't know honestly because I would think both. You know, Trout's got so much upside, but mm-hmm. I think he just admittedly as I think was kind of his own admission as well, probably just needs to get bigger and more physical. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would probably want him on my first team to come in and provide a change of pace from Jaden Gardner. When yeah. Jaden Gardner comes out, Trout would come in and shoot, but yeah, I don't know if I'd put him in the starting lineup, honestly. And um, bond bond, I would probably put on my second team, but yeah, I'm mm-hmm. not sure, you know, maybe if he's, the stout defender that he's being built up to be, maybe you could slide him in at the three for Tane Murray in my scenario. But, yeah. you know, Tane Murray has that year of experience. Don't know if I'd be ready to make that substitution right away. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. What about you? Would you change any of your it's, lineups? It's so hard to say because, you know, if you do that, then you – I think I think the weakest link on this team right now 
is Tane Murray. I, you know, he's getting the least amount of minutes. Uh, probably has the the lowest uh, lowest ceiling, probably of anyone on this team in terms of what he could do. You know, because you you see guys like Ryan Dunn comes in ahead of, and Isaac Manili comes in ahead of Tane Murray at this point. Is that that's not to say Tane Murray doesn't have a role on this team, but it just saying that you know at this point they're better fitted for the offense and for the defense than Tane is. And so if you bump Tane off, does Leon Bond or Isaac Trout bring anything more to the table? At this point, hard really hard to say, especially with Bond, because we haven't really seen him at all in that in that situation. You know, because Ryan Dunn comes in and shows right off the bat like he's he's ready to go. Bond, we we haven't seen that. Trout, we saw a lot of it in the blue-white scrimmage. Uh, we see the shooting. We hear the talk about, you know, the dynamicness of his offense. But, you you know, once again, does he know the defense at all? Probably not. You know, we see this a lot in Tony Bennett's systems where the big guys take a little bit longer to develop than some of the guards. You know, um, that look at, like, for example, Mamadi, Jay Huff, both yeah. of them took four years to really get to their full potential for Jay it was like five, five years to where he was really good. And with trout, it's probably no different. Trout's like, for me, trout's like a Mike Toby that is probably a little bit more athletic. You know, Mike Toby came in build as a big who could shoot. They're about the same size. Um, Toby was also really small when he came in. So I, I feel like, Trout could use that year, build up, learn the defense, come in next year and and fit right in once we lose three of our front court guys in uh Kafaro and Gardner and Vanderplas. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's definitely gonna be interesting. And Gardner and Vanderplas are officially out of eligibility. I think Kafaro, mm -hmm. if he wanted a sixth year, he could technically have it. Um, I think I think you're COVID, right. But yeah. I Given his how he's played internationally, I'd kind of be surprised if that happened. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it. I agree with what you're saying. Um, but yeah, and also to add one extra point, you know, when we were talking about, uh, you know, Mamadi and Jay Huff needing time to really reach their ceiling, you know, all these guys, you could even put Akil Mitchell in there and Darian mm -hmm. Atkins, you know, these yeah. athletic front court people. It takes time to add weight and it takes yeah. time to add good weight. weight. Mm -hmm. which is what uh, Mike Curtis typically does with these guys. So, yeah, I, I think there's, I think he's going to have a great career with us, but I love the fact that he was willing and asked to redshirt. And, you yeah. know, it's different in today's world with one-time transfer and NIL. You know, there's not many people that are willing to redshirt. And that was kind of a controversial topic on the boards. I know you don't get on the boards, but people are like, mm -hmm. why are we redshirting? uh trout i'm like no this yeah. is a good thing like all things equal you know unless the player is just a special special player i love the red shirt i love it in football mm -hmm. i love it in basketball i love it in all sports because would you rather have years one through four for a player or years two through five i'd rather have years two through five um and the fact that he's willing to red shirt i think it's it's a great thing for the future of the program and yeah. you know it signals to me that you know he's willing to stick around. 
Um, you know, you never know, never, never want to be too confident, but you know, you almost have to expect with any recruiting class, nine to two players will transfer during the course of their career. Mm -hmm. And I think when you have a guy come in and, you know, willing to redshirt, I I think that's awesome. And it probably signals to me, he's here for the long call, which is great. I agree. And I think to, to your point, the, the, the new era of NIL and the free, the free year of transfer, because it used to be, you have to, you had to redshirt if you transferred really deterred a lot of people from doing that. And, you know, Anthony Gill did that. He redshirted after he transferred. Um, Sam Hauser. Sam Hauser did as well. So I think Braxton Key was granted immediate eligibility. We had an emergency pod. About yeah, that, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've we've had several guys had to do that over the years, and that used to deter people. But now you get one free transfer, and it makes it easy for a lot of kids who you know they go to a place it doesn't quite fit what they wanted. They they were promised some stuff wasn't delivered. But to that point, there was a great article by the Athletic talked to interview Tony about his recruiting, and Tony was basically like, "I don't sell." I don't sell kids on something they're not going to get. I tell them exactly what's going to happen to them if they come to UVA. It's probably like, you're not going to play unless you can play defense and you do this and that. And so he doesn't get kids to come here who don't want to be here and who don't understand what's going to happen. So it's really interesting. It's not interesting. It's good to see that they come here and then they're willing to redshirt because they know that they can do that. I think if you look at the NBA right now, you're seeing a lot of guys who have benefited from this system. Uh, A lot of guys, Sam Hauser, uh, playing really well right now. Malcolm Brogdon took five years of UVA, doing really well right now. DeAndre Hunter took that redshirt year, doing really well right now. So there's a there's a lot of guys in there. They Anthony Gale, even you know he's on the he's the rotation guy for the Wizards right now. So it's a, I think this, I think this uh, coaching staff is doing a great job of pointing to those guys and saying, look what we can do for you if you're patient and you, you wait it out. Yeah. And that's kind of new, honestly, from Tony Bennett, because Tony Bennett has kind of always taken a back seat to whether it be Roy Williams or coach K, mm-hmm. but it, at least for me, it really seemed like this summer was the summer that Tony Bennett really came out and you know, it's probably the premier coach in the ACC right now. Maybe mm-hmm. Bayhan has an argument, although Syracuse hasn't been as particularly relevant recently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's coming out and he's really selling the who's in the NDAs guys. And mm-hmm. it's awesome. And, you know, it was such a great uh, athletic article that you referenced. Part about that article, though, was, you know, he did go around and ask some of his guys saying, hey, you know, if there was NIL, if there was one-time transfer, would you have stuck around at mm-hmm. UVA? about half of them said no <laughs> yeah you know that's he was like yeah some of our core guys basically said if we had one time transfer uh they're not sure they would have stuck it out so yeah. i mean as we've alluded to in many podcasts you know is a changing dynamic with college basketball and mm-hmm. virginia i think you know just given how the program is constructed it's probably taken some time to adjust to it and you've seen how tony bennett you know went with the really big lineup in 2020 and then a lot mm-hmm. of those guys transferred out went with a really small lineup last year roster that is um and they just didn't have enough depth didn't have enough bodies and now they're kind of in the middle 12 scholarships two of them red shirting which is a great sign 
Like, it feels like we're kind of back to the sweet spot. And this is like another point I wanted to say after Friday night. You know, it's just so much fun having a team that has young upside on there. And that that's yeah. nothing against like any of the previous classes. But, you know, it's felt like really since the championship year, you know, the championship year was kind of the culmination of like a seven or eight year run where Virginia was building and building and building and they were so close. And then championship year, they finally obviously get the championship. And, mm -hmm. you know, the next few years afterwards were just weird. You know, there's, you know, a lot of people that left from the championship team. So, you know, that year afterwards was always going to be kind of a rebuilding year. And then the year after that, the COVID year was, uh, it was just such a different year. And it was a top heavy roster, uh, you know, freshmen that ultimately transferred. And then last year was just such a short rotation. And like, we've been dealing with these like one-offs, you know, for the past three years, as far as roster construction. And I finally feel like this is the type of roster that uh, UVA had, like when we were in school, we were really yeah. building up. Um, so I think it's awesome. It just makes it so much more exciting to have like the proven guys up top and then mm -hmm. kind of the young guys that are, you know, waiting in the wing, not forced into action, but guys that are ready to go when called upon. Um, it's just fun, man. It's just, it, yeah. it feels kind of like we were back in school. Yeah. And you know, like it feels like, and I don't want to jinx this at all, but it feels like when we, yeah, it felt like 2017 where we, uh, 17, 18, where we had the young guys, Kyle, Ty, Dre, were a mm -hmm. huge part of the team. And then we had the experienced guys, Devin Hall, Jack Salt, um, Isaiah Wilkins on that team. Uh, and of course we lose to UMBC that year, but this team I think is much more built to survive kind of those droughts of offense. And, you know, we haven't seen a, it's been two games, so it's not like, not like we've seen everything that this team's going to face this season, but there's going to be times this season where we can't hit a shot and that's, we're going to lose a game because of that. It's probably going to be against like Syracuse or something. Um, mm -hmm. But we're going to, we're going to see what this team is made of over the, over the, next few months and it, there's a good there's a good feeling it when when you're in jpj and those who those who go to jpj and or even watching it on tv i think you can feel that this team is different than it has been for the past three years which is a really good feeling because we haven't felt this way probably since the championship game or championship year or even you know the year after the championship year we were pretty good that year you know, yeah. with, with, with Kihei was a sophomore. We won, um, eight games in a row to end the year in the ACC, yeah. uh, including that home game against Duke where Jay had, uh, almost a triple double. He was one rebound away from a triple double. And so it was, you know, I think that this team is well built for, for success. I think that this team is well built for for longevity and we're going to see what this team is made of over the next really the next few weeks and we're going to see how they do um any last words speak i want to move on to kind of the schedule and looking over the season but any last words on the platoons that we just created we have they're mostly the same a little bit different but um would you be opposed to seeing tony platoon this season Yes, <laughs> I'd be opposed because uh, I, I don't think either of these are 
but I think there's flaws in each one. And I yeah. think when you rotate, you take advantage of, uh, you know, best of both worlds, if you will. But yeah, yeah no, I mean, it's fun. It's a good exercise you came up with, man. Cause I, I know we've been waiting on doing this. I know you did it a while ago. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. And I, it's rare. We have kind of a, a team that bisects so clearly, you know, there's kind of yeah. two of each type of player. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a fun exercise, man. But yeah, down, down to talk about the schedule, because I think we're going to learn a lot starting next. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to learn a lot really soon. And even starting next week, you know, we got a game tomorrow night. We're recording on Sunday night, but we got a game against Northern Iowa. Probably won't learn a lot in that. Hopefully we don't learn a lot in that. Yeah. Game. But you know, on Friday, November 18th, we're going against Baylor in Vegas. And then on that Sunday, we're going to play the winner of Illinois or UCLA. And so those two games, we're going to learn a lot. And then the next Tuesday, we're going to, or the Tuesday, two Tuesdays after that, we're going to play Michigan in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. We're going to, those three games, all against ranked teams, good teams. And we're going to learn a lot about our team during that time. So, we're going to find out quick if we have what it takes to hang around with really good opponents or if, you know, we're just a like a good team that plays good defense but doesn't have kind of the juice to to make it far this season. So, Rob, um, just I think a question I want to ask, based on the schedule looking at it, what are some – Besides like the, the next couple of weeks where we play those three ranked teams, it really, I guess it's just the ACC schedule, but what are some of the stretches in the schedule where you think we might struggle or that are really critical for this team to succeed? Yeah, well, I think intriguing at least is going to be, hopefully I'm choosing intriguing the right yeah, way this time. Yeah, intriguing, uh, word, of the, word of the day, intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I think the December schedule will be interesting. Um, you know, I'll, I'll include Michigan late November mm -hmm. in there, but Michigan, Florida State, JMU beat UVA last year. Hopefully that doesn't mm -hmm. happen again this year. But Houston and Miami all before December 20th, you know, we know it's a tough non-conference slate, uh, but it's also, you know, there's some early season ACC tests as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's going to be interesting. You know, also like honestly ACC schedule is, is just fun to look at. I, I would say that stands out to me. Um, you know, I think the game against Carolina admittedly, I'm really excited for. Um, mm -hmm. so that'll be fun. That that'll be, oh, uh, in Chapel Hill. The now that I'm, you're a Carolina fan, you know, yeah, it's, exactly. It's exactly. My Carolina blue. Yeah. Um, but I would say the one, the stretch that stands out to me most is really this early season stretch, just because you're going to learn a lot about this team mm -hmm. as it faces, Baylor and Houston, which are ranked fifth and third respectively right now in the AP poll, um, not to mention Michigan and then UCLA or Illinois, and then not to mention Florida State and Miami, you know, two pretty good ACC teams. So yeah, I, I think the early season is the part I'm most interested in. And then the back half, you know, once we get into the full tilt ACC schedule, that would be fun. Um, mm -hmm. but I think we're going to learn a lot about this team really quickly in December, which is what I'm really excited for. Oh yeah. I, I think that's a great point, you know, cause, cause we, I mean, 
we're going to Vegas to play these teams, but then we come back and we have we're at Michigan. It's not a neutral site game. We are at Michigan. We're in Ann Arbor for that game. And we come right back on you know four days later, we play Florida State at home. And you know, right now Florida State's 0-2. They are not playing very good basketball, but they are a team that has always given us trouble. Leonard Hamilton is a good coach. And they've got some really good players on that team. I'm not sure why they haven't figured it out yet, but they uh, they are not a team to be overlooked. Uh, James Madison, as you said, beat us last year. They are uh, clearly got some players right now. Um, right now, I think that we're a much better team than we were last year at that point in time. But you never know. And of course, Houston. Right, coming in number three team in the country probably should be higher considering the guys that they have. And they of course wiped the floor with us last year. So it'll be a really interesting couple games. And then Miami who is not to be trifled with either a team that could be, I think there's three teams right now, Carolina, UVA and Duke who are really seen as like the top three ACC teams. I think Miami's better than Duke. And I think that they could fight for that third spot or even the fourth spot if if Duke does if their freshmen turn out to be the real deal this season. But I think Miami's no joke. So playing all those teams in December is a really, really big part of this schedule. And I think that's a well well said by you. Yeah. Well, hopefully UVA navigates it well. And mm-hmm. you know, I think Houston is actually gonna be Really fascinating. So Houston is uh, ranked number four and Ken Palm, the ranked number three in the AP poll, the preseason AP poll, that is. Virginia currently ranked fifth in Ken Palm, though. Um, mm-hmm. They were 18th in the preseason AP poll. So we'll we'll get an updated AP poll uh, tomorrow, I believe, on Monday. But yeah, I'm really curious to see because, you know, between Ken Palm and the voters, there seems to be consensus on where Houston is. Mm-hmm. But between Ken Palm and the voters, there's less consensus on UVA. Um, so I'm actually really looking forward to that game. Um, see how good Ken Palm really is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll be, it'll be a great test because it'll be, I think probably Houston's first major test as well, because Houston uh, does not play in a great uh, conference, you know, they are in the AAC, the American Athletic Conference. And after us, they really don't play a ton of people. They play Alabama. They play St. Mary's, who's a great, who's a good team, but you know, they probably should win. They play them at home. They play o- Oregon. They play at Oregon. Um, but after that, you know, their conference is full of Tulsa, UCF, SMU, uh, a lot of Tulane, Temple, Cincinnati, a lot of teams that are good but not necessarily teams that are um, like super good. So Ken Palm's actually predicting the only loss that they have right now is at Virginia, which is the only, which is probably the best team that they're going to play on the road this season. So that's going to be a huge game. One of the biggest games probably of this year before it flips over to the new year into the, like the meat of the conference schedule. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's a fascinating it schedule. Like it, it it's going to challenge us. And that's what Tony Bennett wanted to do. And, yeah. you know, early returns look good, but again, small sample size. 
So mm -hmm. I, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, hopefully we're not going to run into any Gonzaga like we had. <laughs> that, yeah. was, that was a rough early season test. So hopefully we'll fare better than that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited for the basketball season. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Guys and Ties Pod. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Snapchat for any bonus content that Rob puts out there. Go ahead and follow us on Spotify and iTunes if you want to keep listening. And we'll see you all next time. Hopefully it's a little bit shorter than two weeks. I'll be in Vegas next week to see the team. So if you're there, let me know. I'll uh I got a lot of free time on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Friday, Friday morning too. Not a lot going on, so I'll, I'll probably be hitting some of the some of the tables. But I'll see y'all there. Go Hoos, beat Baylor, and beat either Illinois or UCLA. Go Hoos. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.